kind of like entertained the thought. Um, and then I saw more and more people doing it. They loved it. Um, and I think when it became more real though, is obviously when COVID hit, um, and you know, travel nurse rates were just ridiculously high. They were just, you know, you're making, it's so much more lucrative. Um, you know, when I found out like just by travel nursing, I could make four to five times as much as what I made as a staff nurse. I could make that much and still get to travel and do things I like all at once. So I'm not really spending my money to buy plane tickets like I normally would. I was like, oh man, we got to really, got to really think this through then because like this is kind of the time. Instruments Crafting Wellness Podcast. I'm Anthony Pope. I'm an ER nurse currently traveling, but I'm from Grand Rapids, Michigan, and I just finished assignment in Salinas, California. I'd love to hear a little bit about why you became a nurse, how you became an ER nurse, like what drove you to this career? Was it something you always knew that you wanted to, to pursue? When I was younger, I had no idea what I wanted to do as a career. Like what could I do for the rest of my life and not hate it <laughs> or get tired of it um but I knew I liked science like specifically I loved my anatomy physiology class I took like in um high school um and then my mom actually she was like a CNA she worked in medicine and I knew I liked working and talking with people so I kind of just combined the two and during that time period actually figuring out what I wanted to do for a career um, that was during a time where um, more men were joining the whole nursing workforce. So that was kind of the big thing, the movement. So I kind of just uh, you know, hopped on board that ship and kind of rode it all the way here. You chose ER medicine as your specialty. So can you talk a little bit about why you chose emergency room medicine as opposed to another kind of nursing? Um, before I entered, well, it might have been around the same time, but like I worked um, as a nursing assistant on like a medical surgical floor. Um, I worked there for about maybe four or five years. So, and during that time, I picked up overtime and I got pulled to many different units, oncology, orthopedics, uh, you know, kind of a little bit of everything. And so, I mean, it's not quite the nursing aspect, just the nursing assistant aspect, but I did get um, an idea of the kind of patients I would see. And I got to see kind of what the nurses got to do, you know, um, on those kind of units, what they liked and didn't like just by what they complained about. <laughs> um <laughs> And then I got pulled once to the ER, which was kind of like more of a rare thing because that's such a different specialty where they you really kind of have to know more before you get taken down there. But I was just taken down there just to kind of sit for a suicide patient. But I got to look around and I'm like, this is pretty cool. Um, and, you know, judging from like watching TV shows, which are probably the most inaccurate, uh, you know, uh, description of any kind of medicine ever. When um, I got the chance, I transferred down to the ER and became like a tech down there. And I loved it. I had more autonomy, kind of could do more things, um, learned a ton just because it was kind of a completely different side of nursing I had no idea about. So when I entered school to become a nurse, um, upon graduation, you know, I talked to my manager and he's like, oh, yeah, like once you graduate, just let me know. And uh, you pretty much got a job and we'll start training you. Um, you'll just have to, you know, do A, B, and C, you know, pass your NCLEX, your state licensure exam and all that within a certain amount of time. And then, yeah, just things kind of took off from there. And I just kind of completely found love with the whole ER aspect of nursing. Yeah, I, I know it's definitely a different energy there. I wonder, did you, 
do you work a lot of night shifts or because I I've heard that when especially when you're starting out, you know, you've, you've been doing it a little while now, but um, you know, every nurse has to start in night shifts. So I was wondering, are you a night shifter, a day shifter? Um, it's kind of funny because when I start off just in medicine, I start off day shift and then I worked like everything just because I wanted just to make more money. And then um, I slowly just became night shift. So I've actually been night shift probably for about maybe seven or eight years. I've kind of dabbled between like a three to three shift. So 3 p.m. to 3 a.m. and then night shift. So majority evenings and nights. Um, but yeah, I've been night shift majority of the time with every random now and then I'll pick up a day shift. Uh, not quite my thing. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny because either people really love night shift or they really loathe night shift. I, I, I think it's like people are either more night owls or more, you know, day people. But how does that affect like your your day-to-day -day life, like your normal, because obviously balancing between like when you're supposed to, when society is sleeping and when you're sleeping, um, what is that, what is that kind of like, how did you make that adjustment and, and still be able to balance like your life and still working those crazy hours? There's always pros and cons working nights or days. Um, you know, day shift is, I'd say, like busier um, just because, you know, people are awake during the day, coming into the hospital, surgeries happen usually more in the day, the scheduled ones. Um, night shift though is busy in a sense where it's the graveyard shift where usually you're, if you're going to be short staffed, it's going to be on a night shift. You usually don't have as much staff. It's harder to staff night shift. Um, so for my functioning, I mean, that's kind of the, you know, the thing you kind of give up to is when you work nights, you kind of lose the next day or at least a good portion of the next day. Um, just, you know, you have to sleep. You can power through once or twice, but if you know you're coming back to work the next night, you have to at least get like maybe four to five hours minimum of sleep just to be a good functioning, competent nurse. Um, but yeah, it's the kind of thing is like, I kind of plan out like when I want to hang out with friends and family, a little bit of a struggle, but in terms of like lighting, I don't own blackout curtains, never have. Um, I'm a person who can, I can fall asleep kind of in any scenario. You can put me on a hardwood floor. I could fall asleep if I'm tired enough. Yeah, you have the sleeping skill. I have that skill too. I have the sleeping <laughs> <laughs> it's like anywhere if I'm tired I can I can sleep on a plane a train doesn't matter I'm in a hospital I've uh I've fallen asleep once I think it was like the winter time and it's like usually when I work three to three I'm fine leaving work but when I work seven to seven it sucks because that's like the morning traffic everyone leaving the hospital but also morning traffic all normal people going to work I've actually been in my car turned it on had the heat going and I just like reclined a bit saying, oh, you know, I can't back up. There's all this, you know, kind of traffic. Everyone's leaving the structure right now. So I'll just wait it out. Um, like I've gotten in my car at 730 and I woke up at 10 a.m. because I'd fallen asleep in my car. And I'm just thinking I fell asleep in my car in the middle of winter and no one even decided to knock or check on me. My car's on, thankfully. So when I had a full winter jacket on. Yeah, of course. I, yeah, that's the one thing I can't sleep if I'm too cold. But, but yeah. yeah, I just imagine. Well, I mean, that's a good kind of trait that you have for obviously your profession just being able to kind of be more of a night owl so you can work those night shifts and then also the sleeping skill which is is very helpful thing but I think you know like anything you acclimate your body acclimates and you get used to things oh yeah yeah if you do it enough you know your body's like all right this is my normal because right now I'm in the process of trying to learn how to wake up at like 6 a.m again um just because I've been wanting to try to get more things done early in the morning on my off days because I try to bunch all my night shifts together. So then the rest of the week is just, okay, I want to get back on a day shift schedule, but it's like, I can wake up maybe at 
uh, 7, 8 a.m., which isn't bad, but I used to wake up, oh, I could wake up at 5 a.m., no problem, like, and be wide awake, get so much done, basically gym, breakfast, and had my whole day planned out. And I'm like, all right, this is a good day. It's only 6.30. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's, um, it's, it's, I was going to ask that, like, if you're working the shifts, like, in a row, because I know I, when I talk to a lot of people, they're like, sometimes they just want to get three in a row and then be off the rest of the week so that they can do, you know, have their life and their balance. Oh, yeah. That- There's one thing that night shift nurses hate. Don't put staggering days. Don't have me work a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. You will be a zombie just trying to function, especially for people with families trying to, you know, get things done. It's like, no, have me work a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then I'm off the rest of the week. Um, and then, you know, I'll do three on, three, you know, four off or, you know, some people they'll do six in a row and then they'll have like a pretty much a week off and they don't work until like, you know, you know, a whole week later and they'll do it again. So six on seven off. Wow. wow. Yeah. Just to, that? That before? Um, yeah, I think the most nights I've ever worked in a row, and this is obviously picking up overtime. I worked like 14 nights in a row. Wow. Like I think those nights were like 16 hour shifts. So. Gosh. And then how yeah, long? Yeah. Oh yeah, it was it was horrible. But I mean, flu season, overtime, all this extra pay and stuff that was going on just because you know the flu was crazy that year. Oh. So it was great. But I mean, I was I think like when I did get a day off, I think I slept for sixteen hours. Oh my god! Yeah, did you take a little bit of time after the sixteen days? Did you take like a week or so or two off? Um, I think it was like probably two or three days off. <laughs> you were making that money. You're like, I'm gonna do the overtime. <laughs> uh, you gotta get it while it's there. <laughs> Goodness. Okay, so I want to hear about travel nursing because this is really exciting. Um, obviously, okay, first, I guess my first question is how long have you been a nurse? Um, I've been a nurse for like as of right now, probably about like five ish years, five, six ish years. Okay, and then how long have you been doing the travel nursing? How did you find travel nursing? Tell us a little bit about, I know you're an adventurous soul, I can tell that from all your, your awesome posts on social, but I just kind of want to hear how did you make that transition and just tell us a little bit about what that process and journey has been like for you. Um, well, when I first worked in my first ER um, back in my hometown where I grew up, um, I, you know, I heard about travel nursing. I wasn't quite sure everything about it, but I'm like, oh, like I like to travel and stuff like that. And that sounds kind of cool. I just didn't know the logistics and it seemed like, ooh, like a lot of legwork and a lot of paperwork, things to figure out. And like, oh, this sounds like a nursing school. Like it's a headache. Um, and so I kind of just kind of like entertained the thought. Um, and then I saw more and more people doing it. They loved it. Um, and I think when it became more real though, is obviously when COVID hit, um, and, you know, travel nurse rates were just ridiculously high. They were just, you know, you're making, it's so much more lucrative. Um, you know, when I found out like just by travel nursing, I could make four to five times as much as what I made as a staff nurse. I could make that much and still get to travel and do things I like all at once. So I'm not really spending my money to buy plane tickets like I normally would. I was like, oh man, we got to really, got to really think this through then because like, this is kind of the time this is, you know, COVID's not going to last forever. So, um, but who knows (laughs) that might be a thing that lasts forever. Um, but yeah, so once once I started put more thought into it, I think the hardest part was um, my fiance. She's also a nurse. Um, she doesn't work in the ER. She works rehab. Um, she had the harder time jumping on board um, just because we're living in the tower. All our whole family lives, three nephews and a niece, and they're all like under the age of like seven. Um, so, you know, you, you miss out on family time and all these events, birthdays, um, holidays. 
Um, so, you know, that was like the hardest part for her to give up. And so, you know, it took a lot of talking and kind of figuring it out because they're usually only three month contracts. Um, and you know, we can maybe plan it out where if you want to, when you negotiate a contract, you can negotiate certain times off if you wanted to leave to go home and come back, or if there's certain things we're okay with missing, um, versus, you know, just, we have to be there for, um, so and then the long-term goals of like, okay, we want to do this so we can, you know, it's a short-term thing. We're going to make, you know, money for the next year, two or three, and then kind of reevaluate then. Um, and so once, you know, kind of became on board, that's when we started getting the process going of like, all right, what agency do we want to work for? We kind of had to do our own little survey of people we knew like, hey, what ones do you work for? Do you like them? And it's kind of a learning kind of curve, like as you're going about it, you don't learn everything you can from other people. Some you do learn from experience. Um, so what goes into it? Um, so it was, it's been fun journey so far, uh, especially we just got done with California. California is probably the highest state tax ever. <laughs> Tell me about it. Yeah. I was like, holy crap. Like, and since we have a house here in Michigan, we're paying Michigan state taxes and California state taxes, yeah. but um, come tax season, I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll get a kickback. You know? Yeah, you will. They'll split. They'll 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 figure it out. Because I, I sometimes I work in like I'll, I'll film in Texas or I'll film in Georgia, mm -hmm. and they'll hire me as local, and then I'll pay, and then I have to like figure it out. But they'll oh. yeah, you'll get you'll get it. Hire a good CPA. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You need a good accountant. Oh my goodness. Well, so and isn't there different? There's different licensing, right, for each state. Oh yeah. There's mm -hmm. So how do you go about that? Like you're not obviously licensed in every state. So how do, how does that work? Um, well, unfortunately, Michigan, um, my home state where my original license was, that is not a compact state. So compact states kind of are states, um, you know, they're part of a group of states that um, if you have your original license in one of those states, it's much easier to get a license in other compact states as well because they all participate in this so you're not having to go through all as much of these hoops or you know you get the you get your license quicker because the thing is for a lot of these states california is by far the worst um but you would apply for um uh, you know your uh, state license there and it could take anywhere from sometimes three weeks eight weeks or you could be like california it probably took me about like three-ish months maybe give or take like a couple more weeks just to get my license and if you don't have your license, you can't work in that state. So even if you're ready to go and a place needs you, um, if you can't get it, you can't work. So usually your agency provides you with like the whole two page thing of like, this is how you go about getting your license on that state website. You pay all the fees, for the license, you have to get your finger printed and kind of, you know, pay for all the stuff. You save those receipts, you send them to your agency and they reimburse you, but they only reimburse you if you work in that state. So you could, you know, apply for five different states, but if I only worked in two of them, I'm only getting reimbursed for two. So what kind of incentive to work in the other three? Right. And so does the agency help negotiate your contracts too for these, these short-term stints, or is that all on you to negotiate your rate and everything? Um, they would negotiate. Um, you kind of let the your agency, your recruiter know like the terms you need, like, hey, I would really not want to work every weekend. Um, I'd like, you know, I'm okay with every other weekend or, hey, I'm an ER nurse. I don't want to float. I don't want to, I don't feel comfortable floating to other units, um, especially if it's not my specialty. So they would negotiate those things and then the hospital say yay or nay um, when it came to that. The hard part is that people don't realize is when it comes to um, travel nurse contracts, the, um, 
So basically the agency is the vendor, the hospital is uh, the buyer and the nurses are the product. Mm -hmm. So really those contracts aren't meant to protect nurses. They're meant to protect more so the agency and the hospital. So those contracts, unfortunately, they don't hold a lot of weight when it, you know, you want it to stand up for you as a nurse. So they've had it where, you know, especially COVID's made it a lot worse. Oh yeah, we'll hire you in. You'll be be paid at this rate. And then suddenly two weeks into your 13 week contract, Hey, we're lowering your rate. What's the point of a contract? If like, you know, you can just change it and they don't call it changing it. They just say, no, that contract is null and void. This is a new contract we're bringing up. So basically, if you don't agree to this contract, then you don't have to work for us. So I'm off the hook. At least I don't get in trouble for leaving. Um, but if I don't sign it. And you're already, you know. you Yeah, are- it's, the hardest part is travel nurses. These are people who've picked up their everything their whole life to move from like Michigan to California, you know. And if I got there, started working for two weeks, you know, I already spent like my first month's rent and a deposit down. And now they're saying they're changing it. If I said, no, I won't take it. And I don't have a job. Well, I also don't have, I only have a place to live for the next two weeks then. Cause I only paid for one month so far. So you kind of like wasted money getting there. Cause they don't reimburse you, you know, necessarily on getting there. And then your first month's rent and the deposit. And depending on who you rent from, they may not be so generous as well. So, you know, you may make great money as a travel nurse, but there's also great risk and there's not always a whole lot of protection. So that's where you really have to educate yourself. Know, like, you know, make sure that you can see the place before you put a down payment or like a, you know, just a secure deposit or anything like that. You can sometimes look up hospital reviews um, just to see how hospitals treat travelers. Um, I've done this one of two ways. Um, You can join a ton of different travel nurse groups on Facebook. Um, All of them are great. They have thousands of nurses on there. You can ask about a, you know, a place though, and you may get a million messages that diverge into nothing about the hospital, but more about, you know, things that irk them, you know, all this internet um, arguing, Um, or you can get a ton of stuff, which is great, useful, or you can get nothing. Um, Now this, this one I found, I found a, there's a app. It's the MedVenture app. It's kind of a traveling app for traveler, travel healthcare workers. And what's great about that is um, it's primarily useful only if you're on the west side of the United States, because I think that's where it originated from and it's still growing. But there's an area where you can look up your hospital. People have put reviews in on those hospitals and you can rate them on like, okay, how's the management? How's the staff? How's the nurse to patient ratio? You know, how's housing in the area? Is the budgeting good? Everything. You can look up every little thing you want. Um, so I'm really hoping that does grow because as it does grow, it'll become a better tool for travelers. Yeah, absolutely. Because then you're kind of going, you know, in the dark when you're moving somewhere you don't know and working for a hospital you don't know. And you're kind of just like, let's hope that this is a good one, you know? So it's good that you can yeah. have these tools that will help you make better decisions on when, when you're choosing, you're picking up your life, you know, for the next three months or whatever it's going to be. And, and then you can, I, I imagine you can extend your contract past that if you'd like to, but, um, but I'm, I'm interested about the housing situation. So does the agency help you find temporary housing? Cause I know like in California, for example, I know that short-term housing like that, they will really jack up your prices quite a bit. So how does that make it worth it for you if you're having to go and pay this exorbitant amount 
for like rent in California, for example, um, how, how does, is there something that they do to help balance that a little bit for you guys? Or is it just kind of like you're on your own? There are a few resources. So the agency, my agency and some agencies, not all of them, but um, they provide you a whole bunch of like kind of like the corporate codes or codes you can use for um, hotels. So that way you can get the discounted because if you spend $60 a day on a hotel, you know, okay, that can actually average something that is doable, but you're in a hotel. So it's kind of just meh, you know, it's not your thing. It just depends on your preference. Um, there's codes for Airbnbs that allow you to stay a certain amount of time as well. Um, and then there's an app called Furnish Finders. It's the worst app in the world. I feel like if they updated it, it could be great. Um, but that shows in the area um, in different color codes, um, you know, green for hotels. I believe it was like purple for like some people rent out their rooms just in their house. So if you're a single traveler, it's nice. But that's if you're comfortable living with another person or family, especially if, you know, this if the whole workforce is primarily women may not be a thing that you want to try. Um, or just a place where you have to yourself, um, which is usually more expensive since it offers that amenity. Um, other than that, though, you can look on like Facebook groups as well. Um, the hard part is like, yeah, during COVID and, you know, travel nursing becoming such a high, you know, uh, volume thing going on in the U.S., I feel like a lot of people who have owned these places have jacked up the prices because they are aware of how much travel nurses make and they know, oh yeah, you can, you can afford it. And like, well, the moment it becomes where I'm not making money or enough where it makes it worth it, that's when you're going to drive people away. Mm -hmm. um, so unfortunately, uh, you know, we're given a stipend, you know, from the government, um, but it's based off of like the market value of the area you're in. And unfortunately, just due to the horrible inflation, I don't believe those rates have been adjusted to inflation. So you may get the max stipend you can for your area, but if the area's you know housing costs are just way above, you know, and what they try to do is they try to say, oh, your stipend, you're getting this much money, like you know, in the hourly. Like when I was in California, I was getting paid twenty dollars an hour less than the staff was, and. Yeah, it's it, it made no sense. They just said, oh, yeah, but your stipend is this. I'm like, yeah, but my stipend pays for my house at home in Michigan, and then it's paying for my place here. And it's not just housing, you know, because I have like my little camera that looks at my house at home so I can view it, but I pay for that subscription. But in order for that camera to run, I have to keep paying for my internet here then. And then, you know, since I was gone for the winter and we get, you know, cold winters actually here in the, in Michigan, I make sure on my app, I can adjust my heating. So I'm still running heat and everything in my house here. So all these other little bills are trickling in. I pay for a lawn service to mow my lawn because I'm not going to expect family to come every two weeks. Um, so all these other little bills, that's what that pays for. But then the agencies and other the hospitals will say, say that counts as income. Like that really counts for living expenses everything else, the taxable wage is income. So that's the very difficult part is, um, you know, they can disguise it, especially to the newer travelers who've joined, which there are a lot of them. Um, if they don't know the jargon, they don't understand how it goes. Um, it's very easy to disguise it. Uh, you know, your stipend as actual income, it looks good up front, but in reality, even though you might still be making more money, you're also potentially missing out on money. Yeah, and especially in a place like California when everything is just astronomically more expensive. Oh, yeah. 
a lot of other places. Does the agency take a percentage of your cut like as well for getting you the contract or helping you through? Like how did they? Here's the crazy thing is when I joined travel nursing, it's, it's kind of insane because I feel like, um, so the hospital has a bill rate, you know, what, the, how much they pay for me, um, you know, and it's like the whole package. And so, and the um, agency takes a cut of that and then I'd get like the, the rest. But here's the thing is, I don't, you know, the agency will never tell the nurse what the bill rate is. Um, and so if they don't tell us what the bill rate is, then it's hard to tell, like, if my rate drops, is it because the bill rate dropped or is it because my agency is taking a bigger cut? Mm-hmm. And you don't know, because if, if the bill rate drops, that means the hospital lowered how much they're paying for me, which means naturally my agency will have to lower my pay then. That that makes sense. It means I would blame the hospital for my cut my pay cut. But if the bill rate's the same and my pay still changes, that tells me my agency is taking a bigger cut. So they're not a, there's no like limit on how much that they can take from the cut. There isn't like, okay, max is you can take 10% or there's no kind of, it's a free for No, there's, there's no limit that I'm aware of because I've heard of many different, you know, agencies. I want to say like, I've been told like AYA has been sometimes the worst with that or, you know, and I don't know how these numbers, how accurate they are, because it's just from people like online. You get to, you want to hear it enough, though. It's like, hey, some part of it must be accurate if it's very consistent information I'm seeing. But it, look, you know, it seems like I might take about forty percent of the bill rate, which I'm like thinking. I feel like when you're an agent who like you know helps people find stuff, you know, or like you're an agent for an actor, an actress, and stuff like that, you know, that agent might have a bill rate, but I don't think they take like forty to fifty percent. They might take no, a small. No, no. We have uh, you ten percent agent. Max for managers, 15%. So yeah. agent and a manager, you're paying out 25%, but you know, and then you get taxed on it. You know how it is. It's just, you oh, yeah. know, one dying me to death, but I just can't imagine. Like, I didn't know that. And that's really scary to think about that. There's no kind of protection on like, if you're not even aware of like, you can't say to them, Hey, what are you taking? What person? Like it's, that's crazy to me because you're just leaving it the trust to other people to, to be, good to you but yeah so they say if like you can try to request the bill rate from your agent or from your uh, recruiter and they may just most likely say that's proprietary information you know they can't give that out and like just all this bigger word jargon which you know it's like if you really want to push at it but you you know i always say you know it's hard because you can kind of push against your recruiter so much but remember they're the ones who find you stuff so it's kind of hard for newer nurses or newer people in the travel world to want to push back because, Hey, this is the person who finds me work and who finds me the highest paying work. Do I really want to upset them? Cause it's like, you know, there's always a job somewhere for nurses. You can always work for different companies. Um, but it, it's, it's a very difficult place, but if you have a really cool, um, like the hospital you work for, like my last hospital, um, the manager was perfectly fine showing me the bill rate. Like he showed me on his computer. I'm like, okay, so I can see the bill rate and I can keep track of if something drops, I can see why. Right. Um, and that yeah. you should have that transparency. Like it's crazy to me that, you know, it's shady to me. Just oh yeah, 100%. hold that kind of information from you because it's like, why won't you just share it? If it's, if you're on the up and up, then you should just be able to tell me what the bill rate is and what percentage you're taking. It's it's not going to change, yeah. you know, it shouldn't be, that's very crazy. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Cause um, I feel like if you were transparent, no one would be upset. Cool. There'd be just, you know, way less arguing over this way, less complaining and more time towards actually what matters than like patient care and working and stuff like that. But you know, that way, if there's any questions. 
Yeah, and healthcare workers are naturally very empathetic, very giving, very generous. You know, your guys are you're sacrificing your time with your family. You're there, you know, for the hardest, most difficult times of people's lives. And like that takes a certain kind of person. So I feel like there is a propensity for people to take advantage of healthcare workers because Mm -hmm. there's a certain kind of person that goes to do those jobs and I don't like that (laughs) I really don't like that like that that, I mean I'm glad we're shedding light on it because like that is the kind of thing that can cause change is when people start talking about these things and like well well, this maybe needs to, to to be done differently you know yeah, no, I've told like newer travelers and stuff. Um, and it'd be hard because, you know, no matter what you need income. Um, but obviously, if you want certain things to stop, you kind of have to set those boundaries. But it's hard to say no, because your recruiters might hit you up for, oh, yeah, I have this contract here in this area for this much. And it's like, right. you know, or they'll give it to some another person yeah. instead of you. Because they're, they're not hearing no enough. You know, because you could say, oh, no, I'm not going to take that contract that, you know, that doesn't pay, that doesn't duplicate my expenses. Like, I can't, I can't pay for my house and pay for being there. It's not worth it for me. You know, it doesn't pay enough. Um, and they'll say, oh, that's the best for that area. I'm like, well, have you looked at the housing in that area? It's impossible to find, it, especially in California, actually. Oh, yeah. It's very difficult. So yeah. they're not, they're only hearing no from those nurses, those nurses who are uh, either been doing this a while, who have a little cushion in their bank account, or just those, you know, nurses who are really, you know, type A go-getters. Everyone else kind of, you know, they might push a little bit, but then eventually they kind of fold because it's like, hey, I, I need to make income. It's been a little bit. So that's the hard part. Um, mm-hmm. What do you do about that? They take advantage of the fact that you get rid of the middleman. You get rid of the middleman. I think like hospitals should just try to hire people directly. And that's been a thing that was talk is like, you know, um, you know, nurses, if they get like their like C core LLC, something like that, and they kind of just um, you know, work just directly with the hospital. I haven't looked a whole bunch though into what goes into that because I'm pretty sure um, you know your agent the agency probably does do things behind the scenes that nurses are unaware um, you know but it's not something that can't be taught or learned you know so if you work directly with a hospital if there's some weird stuff that needs to be done you know business-like stuff rather than medical stuff it's like well I mean when you're a travel nurse you can learn some business stuff then especially if it means you get to pocket the majority of like the bill rate also, I feel like there's incentive for the hospitals because let's say that, you know, the certain amount that they're paying, if they know that the agency takes a percentage of that cut, the rate has to be higher for the hospital. Mm-hmm. So to justify the nurse being able to take the job, if you cut mm-hmm. that out, then the hospital actually probably could end up paying less and you'd actually still be making more, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm sure there is a lot more to it than just, you know, I'm sure it's more complicated than, than what we're talking about, but I think, um, you know, that without the transparency there through the agency, if they were all very transparent about it, then I think it would be a different story. But when it's kind of like a free-for-all and they can take whatever whatever they feel like or justify or, you know, mm-hmm. and they have to tell you, that's an entirely different conversation, I think, you know? Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, because one thing the agencies can do is they have the whole database. And if I want to work in a state, I'll put Arizona, like from this time to this time, I don't care if it's nights or days. And then everything in the state of Arizona that they work with and have, like they'll show me. So that's great. But if I just worked myself and I worked, you know, just with talking to hospitals, I would probably just have to locate a hospital myself in a state and like, oh, this hospital has some good Yelp reviews. Um, and then uh, I would probably see if I call their HR or whatever and kind of say, hey, you know, traveler and I, you know, do you need people and stuff like that? And so you'd have to do it one at a time, which could be tedious versus if I just see a huge database, oh, here's these hospitals, here's their pay packages. 
um, in kind of like all the details of like their unit, if there are any, which it's quicker, but you know, it just kind of depends if you're, the reason you take away the middleman is you're going to take on that extra work. I know it's a very general statement, right? We talk about mental health a lot, but um, in, in regards to healthcare and being a nurse and working in an emergency room setting, I'm sure that you know, there's a lot that goes into that. And we talk about burnout a lot. And we talk about, um, you know, finding time for yourself, but you're on night shifts. So I kind of just wanted to talk a little bit about um, maybe what you do for yourself to keep your mental health strong. Obviously, you're traveling and you're having adventures. And I'm sure that that balance is really great. Um, but I, yeah, I just kind of just wanted to touch base on um, any advice you have for people who might be struggling with burnout or just anything that you want to talk about with it? Um, well, yeah, because burnout's just so huge. The most prevalent thing right now with, you know, nurses just given the pandemic and how short-staffed everywhere is. So, um, you know, just people feeling worn out, unimportant, um, not supported by their facilities that they work for. Um, it's just, it's horrible. It makes you feel very alone and very alienated. And I think what makes it hard is just, um, you know, it, as a healthcare worker, if you speak to someone who's a non-healthcare worker, one of two things you get either it's like oh it either can't be that bad because maybe they don't really understand the full gravity of the whole picture or you get people maybe they don't really quite know it because they don't work healthcare but they'll be like oh my goodness that's awful and they're you know kind of like supporting because like absolutely you have every right to feel this way um but i feel like if you were talk with other healthcare workers um you might get a bit more of that empathy and that you know being able to relate to people i just think it's important then not to have it turn into more of a toxic conversation, you know, of negativity, because I'm a firm believer that the energy you put out is the energy you're going to get back. So it's like, if you're going to concentrate on everything bad that's happening um, and, you know, just complain about everything and it's like, yes, there's a place for that. You can certainly like vent and let that out, but just don't make that an everyday regular thing because what that does to, you know, your coworkers, your friends, family, anyone, it might push them away because they'll just like, oh, all they do is complain about this, that, and that. And even though you do have um, a viable reason for that, um, you know, not to feel like you're being dismissed from your feelings, um, I feel like, you know, vent, complain, have that moment. But after that, what are you going to do now? You know, what are you going to start doing to change that? Obviously, you can't change the system, but you can change how you react to it. So, um, so, you know, like I said, you can talk to friends and family, um, you know, and you can also, I think um, the biggest thing is like, I feel like the stigma around, if you talk to a therapist, I feel like when people hear that, they look at you differently, like, oh, what's wrong with you? Like, you know, and it's like, no, I know people who go to a therapist and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them or their relationship. It's really just upkeep. Like there's no problems now, but this is how we avoid having problems, period. Mm -hmm. So you can just talk to therapists about anything you want. Really, they're there to talk to. And if you have certain problems, they find, realize they talk through that and teach you how to cope with it, how to work through it healthily, um, you know, teach you better uh, coping strategies. If you have, you know, ones that are maybe not healthy, because some people, you know, especially in medicine, if you work nights, a lot of night shifters, they like to go out to like the, you know, a neighborhood bar afterwards and all have a drink together. Never a bad thing, as long as you're not doing it in excess or for the wrong reasons. So, you know, just finding better habits, like, hey, let's all go out to the lake today or something, you know, get outside, get out in the sun, do something um, productive, something that makes you feel good, like you accomplished something. Because um, yeah. I feel like when you accomplish things and you get outside and you feel like a, something good to your day, um, you know, you appreciate more. 
So probably another thing I realized that makes a huge difference. You wouldn't think it would necessarily. It may sound silly. Um, get like a gratitude journal. So things that you are thankful for, you can literally bullet point it. Like you can type it in your computer or you can have a physical book. I like physically writing it out just because it's kind of like the difference between getting a typed out letter versus a written out letter. It's just more sentimental. Yeah. So um, you write out like five things you're thankful for for that day. And you can do that every day, every other day, or you can do it for the week. But then once you start looking at it and looking back on it, you're like, oh, I actually have a lot to be thankful for. There's a lot of good still, but it's very easy to get stuck and hung up on the negative and what's bad. Oh, yeah, it's so true. You're talking about one, just getting the... I don't even want to say the feelings are bad because I think all the feelings that we feel are important. And Absolutely. you know, when you feel sad about something, that's how you feel joy. That's how you know the difference. So mm -hmm. I don't think that bad feelings are bad. I just think that, you know, if you don't find a way to express them, whether that's artistically, whether that's, you know, dancing in your room or talking to someone who understands or talking to a therapist or cooking or whatever that outlet is for you that you can like process. But I, I agree. I think, um, I think talking it out is the best way. Even if you talk to your dog, like just talk it out, <laughs> out of your body, you know, physically get it out of your body, emotionally, verbally, like just get it out. I think I'm a big proponent on that. And then I think, um, you know, balancing your life, right. Just making sure that, you know, you work three shifts in a row and you, you know, you're tired, like make sure you have the time to rest, but also to make room in your life for the things that matter. Like you, with your traveling, you know, you kind of were able to to combine your love for medicine with your love for traveling. And now you get to kind of do both. So you get to explore new places and still do what you love, which I think, you know, if people don't have to always do this linear career where you're just stuck in the same place the whole time, you can get creative with your career and your job, especially now. Mm -hmm. um, I have two questions, actually. My oh, ask, yeah. Where is the best place that you've a travel to for personally that you your favorite spot and where where you've been and B for work where you your favorite place that you've traveled to so far is I want to know. <laughs> um, I mean honestly, it's even though I've, I've already mentioned a couple of times, it's it's gonna have to be California and for many reasons though. Yeah. Uh, yeah, because it is a beautiful state. I'll give us that. <laughs> well, I mean California has probably some of the most diversity. I mean, you got awesome beaches. You know, you got the public beaches, but then you got an all natural beaches. So you got the whole beach vibe. You go more inland though, you got forests, you got mountains, you got waterfalls, you got, I think there's nine national parks there, um, you know, and there's so much diversity between like Northern to Southern to the Bay area of like California. So that's like the beauty of California. But then as a travel nurse, like California is typically always going to be the highest paying state when it comes for travel nursing. And then California, believe it or not, is the only state in the U.S., that actually has laws for um, travel, like for nurse to patient ratios. Really? So yeah, there are like, I think about nine other states that have laws that say that hospitals have to come up with their own policies for nurse to patient ratios. Mm -hmm. But California itself has a law that sets the number for depending on what um, area in the hospital, what unit, whether it's medical, surgical, ICU, ER, for this unit, this is the maximum amount of patients you can have. And, you know, if you have a very acute patient, like in the ER, if I suddenly get like a stroke patient, I'm one-to-one -one with that. I cannot, you know, have like the rest of my three or four other patients or whatever. I need to stick one-to-one -one with that, you know. So they kind of, 
you know, have laws that, you know, it protects you. And that's what's great about that place is um, you can provide safe care because you're not given like six, seven, eight patients. Because unfortunately, the reality is so many states, um, you know, will have it where these nurses take care of seven or eight patients, which is completely unsafe. Um, it burns out the nurses, but then also puts their licenses in jeopardy. Um, and then at the same time, the hospital will basically make you the scapegoat if something bad happens. Um, so it's just truly unfortunate the position that nurses are put in because usually too, when you're a traveler and you're traveling to a place that's short staffed, that's a place that you, that's something you might walk into, but in California, um, since, you know, they have laws with it now, I think COVID they may have bent it a little bit because they just weren't expecting that volume to come in. Um, but for the most part, I mean, they make sure, you know, especially California's laws with breaks, you know, mandatory breaks, which, that's something I never had as a, as a law in any state I've worked in. Wow. So yeah, a lot of perks to working in California. So I got to say, that's probably one of the, you know, one of the many reasons why California has been my favorite place to travel. Oh, interesting. Okay. I, I wasn't expecting that. I like it though. That's good. Yeah. to know. It's really good to know. Yeah. yeah. I, I know the whole, um, you know, ratio has been a fight that's been going on for a long time in healthcare, just making mm -hmm. sure there's safe staffing for the nurses and for the patients oh, but yeah. that California passed a law. Hopefully other states will follow suit and uh, you guys don't have to be so burdened all the time. Cause that's, that's, you're exactly right. I mean, you're the, you are the scapegoat when something goes wrong, they will, they'll blame the nurse first. The hospital's not going to say, Oh yeah, it's because we didn't hire enough nurses. And this nurse, one nurse was taking care of 10 patients. Like they're, yeah. You know, or it's like, no, they didn't hire. It's just they don't do much to retain their core staff. So if you're not paying the core staff enough and you're not doing anything to support them except buying pizza and cookies, uh, you know, they're going to end up leaving for anything else. Yeah, totally. That's crazy. I know your fiance is a nurse. Yes. And so is she, does she travel with you? Is she also a travel nurse? She... Um. So yeah, no, she's a travel nurse as well. Okay. Um, she oh, rehab. Yeah, she does rehab nursing. She's done med surge as well, but I think she enjoys rehab more. Um, but yeah, so basically it's a little more difficult because usually when there's travel nurse couples or just two travel nurses who are traveling together, they usually work on the same unit, which makes it easier because like, hey, I need to find a, a unit that needs two nurses. Easy for us. It's like, hey, I need to find uh, one hospital that has a need for a rehab nurse and an ER nurse. Um, or I find you know, for California, for instance, at least find two hospitals in the same city or vicinity um, that has a need for her and a need for me. And that way, you know, our home base can be in the middle. And so that way we're not commuting crazy long distances. So it's a little bit more of a challenge, especially because um, I feel like with rehab nursing, there's not as high as a need as there is for ER, ICU, med surge or tele. Um, but I mean, thankfully we've been able to find stuff here and there. And I think since, you know, California has like those great nursing, uh, ratios, she's willing to dabble back into like medical surgical nursing, which is great. Cause it kind of just opens the door up for, uh, more hospitals we could work at. That's awesome. And I want to hear about this camper because oh, yes. that you're doing a camper situation. So where are we at in this camper situation? What inspired this? Are you now driving across the country in your camper to do this traveling or is that more personal? Doing traveling, travel nursing, I was like, well, how's the, the smartest way you can do this? Cause you're gonna be, when I started realizing in California, 
it's anywhere from like three to four to maybe sometimes even five grand a month, just living somewhere, you know, to have a place to yourself. I'm like, holy crap. Like, you know, that's a lot of money a month. And even if you're splitting with the second nurse, imagine if you're not traveling with someone, you're swallowing that whole thing up every month. Mm -hmm. Um, so even though your stipend covers that, it's like, what's a way I could save or make more money? And I'm thinking, well, it's a bit of an investment, but if you know you're gonna be traveling for, you know, an X amount more time, you can kind of get back into the green and break even or more, get, you know, better. So I, you know, looked into a bunch of uh, van companies that renovate vans. And, you know, I wanted to make sure it was a newer van, something that if I'm going to be driving to and from like California to Michigan, that's a long track. I can't have it breaking down. Um, and then, you know, someone who could renovate it quickly because most of the companies I found couldn't do one until like this December or 2023. So I found a little, small little company, um, Texas Vanco in Texas. Um, and you know, it's like there, it's a couple and arch- two architects, husband, wife, or boyfriend, girlfriend, I think. Um, and they said, oh yeah, like we, they got like this website. They have like kind of a couple different things they can do. And they said they'd like to try to do custom stuff too, just because it really does make it special to each customer. So the plan was like, okay, you know, I'd rather get a loan out to make this van because, you know, payments for the loan are like $1,200 a month, which is much cheaper than the $3,000 a month. And at the, by the end of the day, this is something I'll own. I'll never own these places I'm renting. Right. So on top of like, you know, the cheaper, you know, monthly payments and me owning it, then it also gives you the freedom of housing because now if I wanted to need to switch contracts, I wanted to go anywhere. I don't have to struggle on finding cheap housing, not to mention, not just cheap housing, but can I find housing that's close to the hospital I want to work at? Or am I going to have to commute like an hour or something crazy? So it does give you a lot of that freedom, but obviously not without sacrifice because you're in a van. Um, It'll have a shower and a toilet, a sink. It has a stove. You know, you do have to refill the water and empty the gray water out here and there. But, you know, I have apps that kind of tell you what areas have those, you know, places you can refill and empty. It's a, you have to kind of be flexible and living a minimalist lifestyle. You may only have, you know, five main outfits you wear maybe. Um, just because you only can pack so much, but this van I pick up um, on the fifteenth. So show people what the van looks like. Um, but that's that's awesome. I I love that. I love taking charge. You needed to if the van for whatever got a little cramped and you guys needed you know a little bit more space because you're going to be there longer. It's just not working for that one state, you know. Um, then you could just get a place and still have your van, you know. But the van. Oh, yeah the option of the freedom and I'm all about freedom and like taking control and being able to say, okay, I'm efficient on my own and I don't have to, I don't have to rely or pay an exorbitant amount of money to just to show up and be able to be to my job. Oh yeah. And if we ever needed a break from the van, the two options I could think of is like, oh yeah, every now and then we could rent out like a cheap hotel, you know, and we could spend like a night or two there or whatever. Or I know there's apps for it. I got to see how much of a need there is for it. But um, there's people who need a house sitter for whatever reason. And if you got people in California who say, yeah, I vacation all summer in my villa in Italy. I'm like, I will be at your house all summer long. You just like watch their dog or something, you know? Oh, I get to watch a dog and I get to spend time in the house and I have the van outside. So it's kind of like a, and I get paid. So like, I don't have to pay for a hotel. I get paid just to hang out in this person's house. So it's, it's another option. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love thinking outside the box. How did you discover MDF Instruments? Well, obviously 
graduating nursing school, I was like, all right, I need a stethoscope, but I want a good one. But like, you know, I obviously you look into Littman because, you know, I feel like Littman's one of the bigger top brands out there, but, you know, that brand. Cause like, oh yeah, I know a lot of nurses who have that brand. And I was like, oh yeah. But you know, I looked at them like none of the colors um, screamed me. Like they just looked all, you know, basic colors, nothing fun. Um, and, you know, I'm a person, I know how nurses set their stethoscope down or leave it in a room and guess what? It's gone. And you know how hard it is to find it when you say, hey, I'm missing my blue or black stethoscope. Like that's you and everybody. How do you know which one's yours? Well, I have the etched this in the side. You wrote it down in Sharpie and it's already rubbed off because you wipe your stethoscope down with all the wipes. But um, I stumbled on MDF. I think it was just more like I just Googled like stethoscopes and, you know, I looked like, oh, wow, they have a ton of different colors and designs. So that's a plus. And then I'm like, okay, they're not like $20. So they're not cheap, which is good though. You know, I, I don't want to spend like, you know, a bazillion dollars, but I don't want to be a $20 stethoscope because that's when like the earbuds are rock solid plastic and it's just going to fall apart in a year. So I wanted like that middle ground quality but also I can have the fun with the designs. So, you know, I got my first one and I've had it for like almost my whole nursing career um, till I got my new one. Yes. So like, I wish my old self knew what I knew now. Um, Cause like what I would tell my student nurse self, I mean, you know, there's stuff I always knew. I always knew I'll always be learning and stuff like that, which, you know, I always had that mentality. I will never know everything with nursing. It'll always be changing and evolving. But one thing I wish I taught myself because I just, you know, I never, I didn't have a mind for it yet because I had the medicinal mind in, uh, you know, going for me was I wish I would tell my younger self, like start like networking now, like, you know, nursing cannot be your forever career and nursing is very flexible. There's so much you can do with it, but you know, you can network. There's people who are nurses who work basically, you know, they work as a nurse, but then they can have like a side hustle off social media. Um, people who've traveled nurse who've made a ton of money and it's great. They pay off all their debt, but then a smart thing to do is like, oh, you can invest in real estate so you can get other passive income. Cause if you make nursing just your only, you know, option for income, what if you get hurt and hurt your back or, you know, cause it's, it's, you know, I have a buddy, he's a chiropractor. He's like, yeah, usually cops and nurses are my worst backs I work on. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you get injured, you can't work anymore. There's just, you know, you're losing options, but if you can have these other avenues and think almost business entrepreneur kind of mentality, um, you can set yourself up. So that way you have backup after backup. And the great part is you can pass these along too. If I have your own real estate, something happened to me, that's something that you could generational. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it beats inflation. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's so smart because I mean, we touched base a little bit on, on, because that's what you're doing. You know, you're thinking outside the box, even just starting like, the travel nursing and the camper, like you're finding these creative ways to do things a little bit differently, a little more efficiently, a little more wiser as far as with money and just time and, and, and making, being able to create the life that you want to create and still be able to do what you want to do. Um, but I, yeah, I think the entrepreneurship of just healthcare, I, I, I talked to a nurse a couple weeks ago who started this thing called Next Level Nursing, and it just came from her battling her own depression in as a, as a nurse and being overwhelmed and saying like, well, if I'm feeling this way, there's got to be other nurses feeling this way. And so she started her own kind of thing and it's branching out um, and it, it's becoming a business, but it's also helping people. And I just think that, you know, it's 
the entrepreneurship in healthcare and medicine in as a nurse, the, the sky is the limit. You can really take those skills that you're learning because you're obviously great with people, good bedside manner, all of these skills that you're learning as a nurse, they will serve you in other things, you know, and you can get really creative with what you do with that. Oh yeah, absolutely. You know, hundred percent agree. Um, just, I just feel like, you know, when if you think an entrepreneurial mindset, it's just, it's not all, just, if you think about making money, then you're not going to get anywhere. It's really, you just find a problem, you solve it and, you know, you find a way to solve it or make it better. And that's what you're selling. You're honestly, as you can, if you can help people and you provide value, that's it all in all, it will provide you like income and in a return. So I'm glad she found that because that's, it's honestly, it helped her. And now she realized she could pass along to other people. And so it's, you find a lot of fulfillment from that. Yeah, absolutely. I've done like ones where I've gone to Costa Rica on a medical mission trip. Um, you know, I've done mission trips where back long ago when Hurricane Katrina hit like down South. And um, this was even five years after that happened. Um, I went down there, helped with clean up and kind of build some stuff. But with travel nursing, it's hard to kind of participate in that. Um, the only thing I'm probably part of is I'm, I'm um, part of the Emergency Nurses Association. Uh, it's great because I got a lot of cool resources from that, though. Um, so it's kind of great just kind of learning new things happening in emergency medicine in that way, kind of, you know, either seeing it practiced in other hospitals or implementing it, you know, myself, just depending on what it is. So it kind of just helps you kind of be a better critical thinker and kind of see what can what works and what doesn't. Do you have any any tips, tricks, hacks for just either um, being, you know, being in emergency medicine or for nursing students or just how to navigate through? Oh, tips, tricks, hacks. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it's like, especially working in emergency medicine, I guess, you know, if you come from... Uh, like if you used to work on a floor, a medical surge unit, um, coming to the ER, because if you come as, if you start working in the ER as a baby nurse, as a new nurse, uh, you're kind of just kind of taught and kind of, you know, molded into like what, you know, how you're trained. But if you come from a different area, obviously you have to think differently. So it's, it can be very difficult handling uh, the fast paced environment tips. I mean, you know, it's just, just know who your sickest patient is you know, and you kind of go down the line from there when it's like, okay, I have like four or five patients. I have stuff to do for all of them. Who's your sickest? And then who's your next sickest and kind of keep going. And then sometimes like I'll see my sickest, then I'll see my next one. Then I go see my sickest again, just to double check them, just depending on how sick they are. And then I can go to like my third one. And then you, know, you kind of know who to bounce around. There's people who are, you know, deathly ill. They're going to require your attention more. Anthony, thank you so much for joining our Crafting Wellness podcast. I would love if you could just tell everybody um, any social media handles that you have, um, whether it's Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, any of them, we would love to come follow you. I know everybody would like to check out your journey, check out your travel adventures, and also maybe just ask you some more questions. Well, my Instagram handle is Trekking with Tony, T R E K K I N G W I T H. And T O N Y. So trekking with Tony is my Instagram handle. It's been such a pleasure um, having you on. Oh, thank you so much, Brooke.